they want to talk about the uh, word of faith movement and uh, a lot of people it's also called the health wealth and prosperity movement positive confession movement uh, name it and claim it and uh, first thing I want to do is uh, discuss the history of this movement, okay? I mean, today, you know, we know that the Kenneth Copelands, the Frederick Price, the Benny Hens, Casey Treats, Casey Treats kind of, kind of recants every three years, and then he re-recants three years later, so it goes back and forth, so. Um, but uh, most would say that, you know, Copeland's teacher, Kenneth Hagen, was the guy that, uh, founded the uh, the movement, uh, but that's really not the case, okay? Uh, a gentleman named McConnell wrote a book entitled The Different Gospel. He's uh, McConnell is a uh, Pentecostal, okay? And he was attending uh, Oral Roberts University. Um, so, you know, he's not a Pentecostal basher or anything like that. Uh, and he was working on his master's thesis, and his master's thesis turned into this book called The Different Gospel. Now, um, what he didn't like was that Oral Roberts was bringing in these health and welders, especially guys like Trevor Price, to speak at Oral Roberts University. Okay? And uh, one... Uh, One time, very Price said something like, so you see in this passage that God commands you to command him to do whatever it is you want him to do. And one of the professors just couldn't take it anymore. He stood up in the auditorium and screamed out heresy or something like that. And uh, basically, Owen Roberts made this poor professor stand up in front of the whole student body and apologize to Herman Price. And the guy knew his job was on the line and everything. I wish, the, I wish the guy had held out. But whatever the case, McConnell said, enough is enough. This is what I'm going to write my masterpieces on. He ended up writing his masterpieces, uh, researching and investigating the word of faith and faith movement. What he found out was, and he documents it real well, Kenneth Hagin is not the founder of the health, wealth, and prosperity heresy. Kenneth Hagen instead hired several of his, or paid several of his staffers to plagiarize the work. So the guy out of Seattle, uh, this guy was uh, early, early 20th century, E.W. Kenyon, was writing this stuff, okay? And so uh, Hagen uh, paid guys plagiarize his work. He didn't get his money's work because, I mean, sometimes they change like one word in his paragraphs. It is so blatant, uh, plagiarized, it isn't, it isn't funny. Uh, so, the key to find out where the Word of Faith movement came from is E.W. Kenyon. Who is he? What was he trying to do? By the way, his, his daughter, at last I heard, still lives in, in Seattle. Still trying to keep this work in print. Uh, he was a pretty safe guy 
heard you say God plagiarized because uh, yeah, I guess uh, his stuff was a lot like the Institute of Biblical Parents that wasn't, wasn't widely read, nobody knew about and stuff like that. So, so you could get away with plagiarizing. I mean, can you imagine trying to plagiarize uh, uh, Tim, Tim LaHaye and Jenkins uh, left behind? But uh, an obscure guy like Kenyon Hagen got away with it for a long time, okay? Um, so the real founder of the Word of Faith movement is E.W. Kenyon. So, um, so, you know, more than Starbucks coffee came out of Seattle. But whatever the case, uh, Kenyon looked at the mind science cults, okay? Remember, this is the early 20th century. Mind science cults were founded between like, the 1860s and 1880, somewhere in there. Like uh, religious science, uh, Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy. She plagiarized her uh, uh, Phineas P. Quimby's work, uh, where she got her stuff with this. The Christian science cult, Unity School of Christianity, okay? He looked at these movements and he said, wow, I, I, I wanted to see God's healing power return to the church. He didn't see it in the church, but he saw people who were claiming to be healed by these mind science cults. Okay? And uh, now the mind science cults, where did they come from? Well. Basically, the mind science cults, like Christian science, people have said it's not Christian and it's not science, and, and that's really, how, how can it be scientific science examination, uh, investigating uh, through the, the five senses, okay, the world and the senses? Well, a Christian science cult agrees with Hinduism that the physical world is an illusion. How can it be scientific if it denies a natural world, when to be scientific, you examine and study the natural world. Okay, so it's not scientific, but it's also not Christian. Uh, Mary Baker Reddy and the modern science cultists just took Eastern mysticism, basically Hinduism, the idea that all reality is one being, and this one being is God. God is the universe, but the physical universe is, is an illusion. Only spirit, only mind exists, and we are all one God. I mean, it's, it's contradictory throughout, because the idea that all reality is one mind, okay? I mean, if, if I was a rubber pantheist, if I believe all reality is one being, just like, like the Hindus believe, Christian scientists believe, and I try to convince you to become a pantheist, that would be one mind trying to convince another mind that only one mind exists. Okay? So it's 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 hurting in the rational area right at the start. It's, there's not a whole lot of, of uh, good thinking going on. But whatever the case, Mary Baker Eddy took Hindu type thought. Okay? So things like sickness and death are just illusions. Because, you know, how can you catch a cold if the physical world doesn't really exist? Okay? 
article is about the uh, health and welfare state. They claim that we can become a god someday. And he argued that if we say that Mormons are cultists because they say that Mormon males can become gods in the future, then when are we going to have? When are we going to be willing to admit that our, the health and welfare's have placed themselves outside of true biblical Christianity by saying that uh, uh, Christians already are gods. Okay, so uh, we need to understand the Word of Faith movement is not a Christian movement. Period. Uh, the mind science cults are just basically Eastern mysticism or Hinduism using Christian terminology. But all the words are redefined, so when everything is said and done, it's Hinduism, it's Eastern mysticism, okay? When you recognize Kenyon was the founder of the Word of Faith movement, then what you find out is the Word of Faith movement is a blending of the mind science cults with Christianity. And since the mind science cults are nothing but Eastern mysticism in disguise, what does that tell us about the Word of Faith movement? The Word of Faith movement is a blending of Christianity and Eastern mysticism. Okay? Uh, I mean, it gets so bad in this movement that in the end, the word faith doesn't even mean the same thing. Faith in the Bible means our trust in Jesus. Not our trust in ourselves. That makes us a Pharisee. Okay? When we talk about faith, we're talking about our faith in Jesus, our trust in Him, our trust in His will. When they talk about faith, they're talking about putting their faith in their own faith to do uh, supernatural things. Okay, so, so basically, if you claim something in Jesus' name, as long as you believe and have faith in your own faith, God has to do it for you. And uh, that's not biblical Christianity. Um, the, the whole idea that we can create our own reality through the power of our minds that's not biblical Christianity. Now, look at some of the problems that they have here, some of the heresies that this movement has promoted. <clears throat> Anti-intellectualism and hyper-emotionalism. Okay? See, in Eastern thought, you don't think about God, you just experience Him. The problem is that itself is rational. It takes rational thought to talk about that. But it's contradictory, but uh, in Eastern mysticism, you throw your mind out the window and you just experience God. All the emphasis is on emotions, you know, Hindu meditation, whatever. Uh, from the hyper-Pentecostal side, very similar to the Word of Faith movement, there's an overlapping there. Rodney Howard Brown in the Holy Laughter movement after a guy was supposedly slain in the spirit, the guy started to pray. And Rodney Howard Brown leaned over him and said, God is sick and tired of hearing your prayers. Just experience it. 
that's not Christianity. That's Hinduism. That where all the rational content is thrown out the window and you just try to experience God. Okay? Uh, so there's anti-intellectualism and hyper-emotionalism. Uh, the name it and claim it. That's faith in your own faith. That's faith in the power of your mind to create your own reality. Uh, that's faith in your uh, own ability to bring about things. Uh, uh, just through positive confession. Uh, they also believe that Jesus did not complete his work, his saving work for us when he died on the cross. That uh, he had to go to hell, by that they mean the lake of fire, and was tormented and harassed by demons, and then God made him born again, and then he defeated the demons, escaped from hell, and that's where he won the victory for us. Anytime you take Christ's saving work off the cross, all kinds of red lights and buzzers are going to be going off, okay? Uh, they teach that God wants all believers who have no lack of faith and no unconfessed sin, God wants us all to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous right here and now, okay? Uh, they teach that believers are little gods with a small g, canonical sin. Dogs begat dogs, cats begat cats, and God begats little gods, okay? Your worldview has room for more than one true God. It's not Christianity. And uh, uh, they're usually into other practices which are common and, and others who might not be in the word of faith movement, might be real similar to like the vineyard churches and all where people get slain in the spirit and they drop on their backs and, and eventually they start laughing and all. Yes? It's a good question. The question was, is there a biblical basis for slaying the Spirit? I think the uh, the only biblical basis for being slain the Spirit seems to be uh, that if you're really in opposition to God, you really, really mess with Him, He might just knock you on your back. Um, but it's totally out of context the way they use it. They use it. The closer you get to God, the more carpet time you do. Okay? Um, scriptures, you see, you know, when Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and uh, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Boom. And you got 600 Roman soldiers on their backs. And they're getting up real slow thinking, oh no. We were wondering why they got 600 guys to arrest one man. Now we found out. And that's why, by the way, Peter was not as stupid as we think when he tried to start off again by cutting off the... He wasn't trying to cut off the guy's ear. He was trying to, you know, flash on the guy's head. He just, he just missed. He got the ear. But he, he thought, okay, Jesus is kind of pessimistic, but he's the Messiah. He just proved that he's got the power over these guys. Swung one out of his mouth, knocked them all down. Two words out of his mouth, actually. Knocked them all down. I'll start, if he's a little hesitant, I'll start Armageddon. We'll finish it up. And... To be honest with you, this was pretty reasonable thinking considering the uh, uh, assumptions that Peter had about the Messiah. 
like, you know, one coming, not two, and stuff like that. But um, so I don't see any biblical justification for being slain in the spirit, unless maybe you're trying to arrest God. And uh, uh, and the holy laughter, I did find holy laughter in the scriptures. It's in Psalm 2, when all the kings of the earth gather to make war with God, God laughs at them from heaven. But that's the only holy laughter I find in there. So, uh, now, now with me, you know, uh, I probably could have started my own movement years ago. I, I sat to the Lord, I could probably say, for like two months. And I knew I had a lot of pride and stuff like that. that I used to wear, lift weights a lot, wear tight shirts all the time. I was in the Marine Corps. I thought I was Joe Cool. <clears throat> so I knew that God needed to uh, work on my, my pride and my arrogance. So I said one prayer for God to take away my pride. And I started, I never used to cry. In New Jersey, they told us, guys don't cry, guys don't cry, guys don't cry. And I started weeping like a baby, you know. And from that day on, it seems like, you know, Every other day when I'm trying to worship God, every single day, I, I sit in the back of my own church. I don't freak out my own people. I'm just a, a big weeping wimp in the back. You know? But the uh, the holy crying movement just kind of never really kind of never came in. It just it never really got going. But but you can find that song a lot. David David will talk about weeping all the time, and because uh, uh, he was so in love with the Lord and all. For me, it's more of a more of a pride problem. God said, "Okay, we're down open walls of pride." But, um, but whatever the case, uh, uh, we're going to try to look at these, break these down, and, and show that they're not uh, biblical. Now, the anti-intellectualism, the hyper-emotionalism. Uh, Jesus says that he that, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy that we are to love God with everything that we have, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. Uh, God wants us to worship Him with our minds. Now, if you're trying to worship God just with your mind, you have a problem. Okay? God wants you to worship Him with everything that you have, but that includes your mind. It's not less than your mind. But it's certainly a lot more than just your mind. Uh, these guys are throwing the mind out the window with their anti-intellectualism. Isaiah 118. Uh, God says, "Come, let us reason together." Okay, you, you, your sins are uh, red as crimson. I'll, I'll make you white as snow. Uh, but God is, is a God that reasons with us. He wants us. He wants us to study. You know, see, true Christianity, and Francis Schaeffer was real big on this. True Christianity is both propositional truth, statements of truth about Jesus, true biblical teachings, true biblical doctrines. So propositional truth plus personal relationship. So it's not either or. It's not either Christianity is just head knowledge, or Christianity is just experiencing God. It's both, okay? And um, there really is no such thing of having too much 
somebody a hard time for studying the Bible too much. Uh, but if the guy, if that's all the guy does is study the Bible and doesn't pray and doesn't fellowship with believers, I would, I would recommend, you know, I would say, hey, you need to start doing those things too. But it's a both end situation. We can never have enough of both. Uh, certainly, you don't want to do one at the expense of the other. But it's a both end situation, not an either or. Uh, and with the uh, Word of Faith movement, they're saying, no, you can throw the mind out the window. God just wants you to experience it. That's Buddhism. That's Hinduism. That's not Christianity. Okay? Our God is irrational. This is not, this is not the force be with you. Okay? So just, just feel the force, okay? You know, uh, like God is... Uh, uh, a force like electricity where you know you can just stick your finger in a light socket and feel the force and, and, and no God is a personal God that wants us to give him our minds and wants us to, to think about him and to, to, to dwell on his truth 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 14 to 18 Peter warns people about Paul's writings he says yeah Paul is writing God's truth but this guy this is a complex dude. He teaches some heavy stuff that unlearned men twist and pervert his teachings. Okay? And, you know, the evangelical church, church today is, is saturated with anti-intellectualism. Let me say this. I would not go to a church. Has anybody here go to this church? This church? Yeah. Because, uh, I think that Pastor Bell was pictured as a pastor of visitation. He's retired, but now he works. For, but he was my, my pastor uh, for two years before I, I planted my own church. And uh, just tremendous inspiration. Oh, I, oh, I tell you, there, there is a guy that preached the Word of God for years. 40 years of ministry, then he retired. Now he's probably busier now than he was uh, when he was working full time. But. Um, but whatever the case, uh, wait, he was so, he was such he was so grounded in the word. Uh, I do not believe you should go to a church unless the guy who gets behind that pulpit is really, really grounded in the word. He had better uh, he had better have the years upon years of knowledge of, of God's Word. And not only knowledge of God's Word, but knowledge of man's ideas and and how they measure up to the Word. Because you've got to understand the people that you're ministering to. Now, am I saying that you should not go to a church unless your pastor has a PhD degree? No. Am I saying that you shouldn't go to a church unless your pastor has a doctorate ministry? No. I'm not even saying your pastor has to have an MDiv. Master of Divinity. I'm not even saying he has to have a Bachelor of Theology. To be totally honest with you, I don't even care if your pastor never took a college course a day in his life. Okay? But I'm saying this. Before a guy, before a brain surgeon operates to open up my skull and operate on my brain, I want to know that this guy has had like 20 years of study. Okay? Before you let a guy operate on your soul and take that pulpit in your church, 
you better hope and pray that this guy has had a good long time of studying God's Word. Now, I don't care if he had the piece of paper on the wall documented. The only way you could know is sit under the guy's teaching, test what he's saying with the Word of God, and pray, and eventually you're going to figure out whether this guy knows what he's talking about or not. Um, but this idea that, you know, the Word of God gets pushed into the core, that's part of the anti-intellectualism that led to things like the, the Word of Faith movement to begin with. What about um, the anti-intellectualism as it pertains to women? In other words, that women should study beyond a certain point, they should just sit and talk. Is that critical? Um, no, I don't. I, I think every person, uh, I think every person needs, uh, to me it's real clear that every person needs uh, to be all that God called them to be in both the uh, studying side and the experience and service side. Uh, now having said that, uh, I interpret, and there's, there's Christians, good Christians that disagree with me, I interpret a passage to say that even though men and women are equals in God's eyes, that there are times that there are different roles. Um, at the same time, uh, what is it, precepts? There, there's, a, there's some kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah. There are ladies that God's obviously gifted, you know, to, to teach the Word. They're out there teaching the Word and helping others to study the Word. And, you know, I, I think we need more of that. Now, am I of a school of thought that uh, ladies should be senior pastors? No, I'm not of that school of thought. At the same time, I, I don't break fellowship with, with people over that. Now, you deny the deity of Christ, I'm going to witness to you. We're not going to fellowship. But uh, um, I, I also believe the wife is to submit to the husband. The husband is to be the, the head of the household. Now, now, if a husband comes to me and says, my wife won't submit to me, what do I do? I tell him, well, the Bible comes right out and tells you what to do. The Bible says, love your wife, and Christ loved the church. When was the last time the church submitted to Christ? So, uh, you know, so I'm not in the, I don't think guys should dominate their wives. It's the wife, wife's job to submit to her husband. Uh, it's the husband's job to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So, uh, even Anthony Evans got that wrong. He was saying that somebody said, Pastor, my wife won't submit to me. He told the guy, put his foot down. You tell him that you're the boss and this and all this other stuff. And that like the guy would just be a man, the woman would submit. Not necessarily so. I mean, well, what, is, what, what is he going to do if, his, if the guy's wife says, uh, if he says, I'm the head of this household and, and blah, blah, blah. And what if the wife says, uh, no, I'm not going to submit to you. Because he's physically stronger, does, does, does he physically abuse her? Oh, of course not. That's sinful, and then he'd be kicked out of the church, and that'd be the right thing to do with a guy like that. Well, what, what, what does he do? Say, well, if you won't submit to me, I'm going to get a divorce? No, that's the wrong thing to do. And then he'd get kicked out of the church, and that'd be the right thing to do. So, I mean, so you don't put the guy in that predicament. The guy's got a wife that won't submit to his authority. It's still the guy's job to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And, and you know, so uh, God doesn't say, Phil Fernandez, do this if everybody else in the world cooperates. You know, 
God didn't say, Paul, preach my word, they applaud. You know, the God said, Paul, preach my word, whether they applaud or they beat you. Preach my word. Paul, right? Paul said, what was me if I don't preach the gospel? Paul was saying, you know, he, if I stop preaching the gospel for two weeks, I'd be a dead man. Be like a fish out of water. And, uh, um, but, uh, but getting back to your question, though, no, I think we need to. Uh, Edith Schaefer, I think, was probably, may have been the most submissive wife of an entire generation. Yet when push came to shove, she could hold her own intellectually with her husband, and he was proud of that. Um, and, um, but, um, I don't know, I think we just do things God's way, they, things fall so much more into place, but, uh, but whatever the case, uh, we got to stop putting each other on a shelf and uh, allowing God to work through us. Um, Anti-intellectualism or hyper-emotionalism, uh, Matthew 6, 7, uh, Jesus, before giving us the pattern for prayer, we call the Our Father. He told us to avoid meaningless repetition, like the pagans. Okay? See what happens when you, you know, as a, when I grew up Roman Catholic, we used to have to say the rosary. And so I, I used to say, our Father, why have we run right through that baby? And the good thing with me, I never got demon possessed because I never, never surrendered the control of my mind. Even though I was doing that, what I did to pass the time, I would think about the last Raider game. I don't know if we're the Raiders about the class today. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so I'd be running Raider scores through my mind. So, uh, but as a young guy, I wasn't a believer back then, right? but as a young guy, if I didn't do that, you know, little did I know, you know, if you just keep running through the same stuff, and you know, that's what's going on in a lot of this quote-unquote prayer language book that uh, and tongues, not just the hyper-Pentecostals, but even some of our more stable Pentecostal brothers need to be careful because uh, even if you're of the, of the viewpoint that tongues still God can still do that today, or does still do that today. Um, just because somebody has done it doesn't mean it's from the Lord. It could be from the Lord, or it could be from man. You know, go to Casey Tree's church, and if you don't get back to the Holy Spirit speaking tongues, they tell you to say the alphabet real quick. Or they'll tell you to repeat after me. Shandala, uh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it could be from God, it could be from man, or it could be from the other side. The possession cases are almost always... Uh, almost always entail that even possessed person speaking in some unknown language, usually an ancient unknown, unknown language. Um, but uh, the, the key there is think about when you worship God, you don't stop thinking. Okay? Sometimes when I'm worshiping God, it goes, you know, something I just feel God's presence and it goes beyond words and I weep, but that doesn't mean that I just surrender the control of my mind. I mean, keep on thinking. And I keep on thinking that the Lord is good. Um, uh, Psalm 1-2, we are commanded. We are commanded in the scriptures to meditate. 
There's a godly man there who meditates on God's word. Okay? We ought to be doing more meditating than New Agers and the Hindus and the Buddhists. But it's not their meditation. Their meditation, you empty your mind, the cessation of thought, and you surrender the control of your thinking. And believe me, when you do that, uh, the demons will love nothing more than to come in and take control. Okay? Biblical meditation, you empty your mind of your own simple desires, but you focus on the truths of God's Word, principles from God's Word. So, in Psalm 1, the righteous man meditates on God's law night and day. You know, it's so hard for us. We've got Bibles everywhere. You know? If I, let, if I went to a Bible study and left the Bible there, uh, I could go years without even knowing it because I've got, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how many Bibles I have. I probably have 25 Bibles. You know, I mean, it, it, sometimes when you pull out, I say, well, yeah, I want, to, I want to read from the New King James today, but I want a different size print. And I put it back on the ground and it's like, oh, but don't I have one with black cover? Oh, yeah, there it is. And it, it's like, and back at a time of Jesus, if you want to read the scriptures, you have to get all the scrolls. You know, you went to the synagogue or you went to the temple and you read a passage and you memorized it. And you put the scroll back. Then you went because it was so hot, you go under, sit down to the fig tree like the Daniel and you meditate on the passage. You think about the passage that you just memorized. Okay? Um, Awana is stand head and shoulders above most Christian uh, ministries in the evangelical church because they're so heavy on the memorization stage. But that final stage is after getting grounded in the Word, after studying the Word, memorizing passages in the proper context, and really know what they mean, that final stage is then to sit down and to spend quiet time with the Lord and really think uh, about uh, His teachings so that His truths begin to transform and renew your mind. Um, but that's the antithesis of Hindu meditation. Uh, this anti-intellectualism leads in, in the same direction that the Hinduism leads. Uh, the name and claim it, uh, faith and faith, in Jesus' name, I've got the verses listed there for you. In Jesus' name, okay, Jesus said, I didn't come in my own name, okay, but in the name of the one who sent me. Jesus also said that same thing in a different way. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, uh, in someone's name meant that you are you are going in accordance with their will and with their authority. So that if I sign my name on a check written to me, gave it to this gentleman, and then you sign your name underneath it, and then I gave you my uh, driver's license. If you go to your bank, they will cash my check for you. Because they say, okay, here's Fernandez's signature. They're going in. He's going in Fernandez's name and in accordance with Fernandez's will. And so, 
Let me say this. Uh, any prayer that you pray in Jesus' name, Jesus will answer. But that doesn't mean in Jesus' name is not a magic formula. It's not abracadabra. It's not hocus pocus. It's not open sesame. It's not a magic formula. What it means is any prayer that you pray in accordance with Jesus' will, uh, it will be answered. You know, and um, John, the way John put it, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the assurance we have of approaching God that if we ask anything in accordance with His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we know that we have what we ask Him. So, the secret to prayer, this is real important, the secret to prayer is not learning how to drag God off the throne to do your bidding. The secret to prayer is learning to put our own will, toss it aside, and to seek God so much that we begin to desire for ourselves what He desires for us. So the secret to prayer is finding God's will, praying God's will. Uh, it is not twisting God's arm. It's certainly not what Frederick Price said, commanding God. Uh, God commands us to command him. It's like, well, if that's your God, you can have him. Okay? Uh, Phil Fernandez was uh, in control of his own life for the first 21 years of his life. And I made a total jackass out of myself. And I hurt a lot of people. And uh, I know what it's like when I'm in control. And, uh, you know, homie, don't do that. Uh, I don't want to go there anymore. Uh, if I ask for something that is out of Jesus' will, I want Jesus to say no. Because Jesus loves me and he knows what's best for me. So if I'm naming and claiming a Corvette, Jesus' name, if he wants to give me a, a Chevy Chevette, uh, what, uh, what, you know, um, so, you know, the thing is, um, Matthew 7, 7 to 11, we were told, ask it, it will be given to you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the course will be open to you. Um, the whole context there, Jesus is saying, if you ask your dad for a good gift, he's going to give it to you. So you ask your dad, what, what little kid asks his dad for a piece of bread and the father gives him a poisonous thing? Okay? But see, turn that around. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying what the name of the claimant guys are saying. You turn that around, what if a little kid asks his dad, for a loaded gun or for a poisonous snake. And the father's going to say, no, here's a piece of bread. You see, so if we ask God for good gifts, God will give it to us. Problem is, we don't always know. But what we often think is good for our lives or best for our lives, more times than not, it would blow up in our faces. So I thank God that he reserves the right for himself to say no when Phil Fernandez is asking for more, you know, more than he can chew. And uh, um, by the way, Luke 11, where he deals with the same ask, it should be given to you, seek, you should find, knock, the door should be open for you. 
the conclusion there is therefore ask for the Holy Spirit not ask for the ask for the sweetest and fastest camel in Jerusalem I wondered with that prayer of David where he prayed that God would bless him and peace what about Job as far as well, God bless me by praying I ask him because God's blessing for Job was one of the lose it all. So how does that fit in with uh, I, I I think two things I would say. If I was trying to defend the prayer of Jabez, um, the approach I would take and it's what I would say is true. But I don't really feel like defending the prayer of Jabez, but um if I was going to try to defend it, I think the approach I would take is this, that God did enlarge Job's borders. If Job didn't suffer, I mean, if we look at the borders as God enlarging our ministry and our opportunity for service, which if we look at it in any other way, we're, we're in the health and wealth camp. So but if, it's, if enlarging our borders just means enlarging our ministry and, uh, and our opportunity for service for the Lord, and by God allowing Job to suffer, look how many people he's ministered to. No, nobody in this room would ever heard of Job. God didn't allow him to suffer. At the same time, uh, though I think that is true, what I just said there, I'm not even sure I want to defend uh, that. Uh, I think, what is his name? Wilkinson or Wilkinson or whatever they <coughs> I like Wilkinson. Wilkinson. I really like him. It's uh, walk through the Bible and talk through the Bible. Um, I think he's making too much out of the prayer of Jabez. Um, um, it's just a prayer that I prayed and, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know. Blessing comes through service. If we're praying that prayer to say, bless me, give me for best. Yeah. No. Yeah. The true spiritual and eternal blessing comes through my service. Yeah. If I get the opportunity to serve, then I will be blessed. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I'm just, but I mean, that's why I say it's a true principle. I'm just not sure that that principle really comes from that's the prayer of Jabez. Yeah. But he was using that prayer as a tool to get people hooked to, and when you truly pray for that, in large service, God gives it to you. Yeah, and I'd be all for that. I just, I just question whether or not. I'm just not as convinced. As he is. Now, now, there, now there are some that are reading health and wealth stuff into that. I don't think that's what this, this guy's too grounded in the word to go that route. Uh, 